0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Y'all are called to ministry. Remember that? started talking about this last week that y'all are called to ministry and y'all means yeah you all 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 are called to ministry as we as we explored peter's epistle last week we we came to to find that this this notion of the ministry the priesthood of all believers that that if a person claims to be a christian and follows christ that that person is essentially honor bound to take up a mission the mission of God to bridge the divide that has shown up between God and humanity and humanity and itself this mission to transform we are all called to this mission to this ministry not just those of us who enter into vocational ministry in fact it's kind of our job to work ourselves out of a job Of course, this has been going on for 2,000 years now, so apparently we're not very effective at it. But that's essentially what we're trying to do is work ourselves out of a job, get it to a point where the people become the sole actors in all of this. Now, there will always be some need for an amount of leadership and guidance, sure. And there's uh, certainly a lot to say for people who uh, do go through training at seminary and go through the whole ordination process. It's exhausting, but it's worth it. But what matters more isn't that a handful of people go into vocational ministry. It matters so much more that all who claim to follow Christ take up this ministry, take up this mission. And this mission that we have before us is not a complicated one, though it can be open to many different interpretations. I want to to read to you for just a moment a section out of the United Methodist Book of Discipline. If you don't know about this book, it's incredibly boring. So I apologize in advance, but it is—it it does have some truly beautiful words in there. Uh, every four years, this discipline, this kind of guidebook for the United Methodist Church, goes up for review and gets amended and gets shifted, and new words are added, old words are taken away, and tradition is enhanced through it. It's—it's a, it's a very powerful book, a very beautiful book, albeit boring. If you try to read through the whole thing, it's devastating. I mean, it's. You have a better time reading through uh, reading through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and taking on all that genealogy. Uh, but but <laughs> I know, I'm trying to, I'm like trying to make a case from the Book of Discipline here, I'm not doing a very good job, but it, but it has some powerful words in it too. And so I'm going to start paragraph 121, yes, paragraph 121 is at the beginning Of it. Okay, so you can imagine there are over, there are about 5,000 paragraphs that go into all of this. It's uh, pretty exciting. Paragraph 121 starts by saying the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the mission statement of the United Methodist Church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Oh, it's incredibly powerful. And yet so simple. That's it. That's all you have to remember to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But it goes on to give us a little bit more of an exploration. And goes on by saying, by, so this is how it's done, by proclaiming the good news of God's grace and by exemplifying Jesus' command to love God and neighbor. Thus, seeking the fulfillment of God's reign and realm in the world." The fulfillment of God's reign and realm in the world is the vision Scripture holds before us. All right, so, so I'm going to unpack this just a little bit here, that, that the, the, the vision that Scripture holds is the fulfillment of the reign and realm of God's kingdom in our world today. That's what scripture's pointing us toward. That's what it's all about. Transforming the very world we live in into being one that is guided by, influenced, wholly informed by God. And this great love and compassion and grace. And so the mission of the church is to take that upon ourselves by proclaiming the good news of god's grace and by exemplifying jesus's command to love god and neighbor and then we get to paragraph 122. the process for carrying out our mission is five there are five steps in this process here i promise i'm not just going to sit here and read the discipline this whole time i just Laying a little bit of a foundation here, so you understand where I'm coming from, because I've had to I've had to read the discipline. You can't be ordained without reading the book of discipline. It's just a part of the process. The process for carrying out our mission: we make disciples as we number one proclaim the gospel, seek, welcome, and gather persons into the body of Christ. In other words, it's a relational mission to connect to other people through the gospel. Number two, to lead persons to commit their lives to God through baptism by water and the spirit and profession of faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, to be guides beside others who are in this process looking to commit their lives to something bigger than themselves, to be guides, getting them to that point of making that kind of commitment. Number three, to nurture persons in Christian living through worship the sacraments, spiritual disciplines, and other means of grace, such as Wesley's Christian conferencing. All right, so did you hear a key word in there that we've been using a little bit? Nurture. That's going to be a big part of our ministry teams in the the life of the church moving forward, to nurture people in the life of the church through these spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines we have going on right here in the midst of the church, but making it a process of connecting people for to send persons into the world to live longly lo- to live lovingly and justly as servants of Christ by healing the sick feeding the hungry caring for the stranger freeing the oppressed being and becoming a compassionate caring presence and working to develop social structures that are consistent with the gospel in other words it's about outreach reaching out into the world to see God's work of transformation done through our very actions. And then five, to continue the mission of seeking, welcoming, and gathering persons into the community of the body of Christ. Wait, that's the very same as number one. It comes full circle here that we don't neglect that one part, that it's about uh, continuing the mission of seeking, welcoming, and gathering persons into the community of the body of Christ. That community is what the church is all about. That's what it's meant to be. The word that we use, church, its origin that we translate from the Greek is ekklesia, which simply means the gathering. It's beautiful. It's all about that community. And that's what the mission drags us to, connecting in the community, nurturing one another, reaching out to one another, witnessing to one another. And this is what we're going to be seeking to do uh, in, in our path moving forward as a church, but I want you to know that it's not up to just a few people. This is the greatest fallacy in the life of the church, and it's something in, uh, in the world of psychology called the bystander effect. Right? If, you, if you've ever heard the bystander effect, it's this notion that people, whenever they see something going on that they might, could take action for, put themselves in the place of a bystander, saying, it's not my job. Somebody else does that. So the classic example uh, came from a uh, study that was done about a person who was being mugged in an alley, and they looked to count how many people walked by, stopped, looked at what was happening, and kept on walking guess what? It was more than one person. (laughs) It was a great number of people that just looked and saw what was happening and kept on going. This happens all the time in the life of the church. We look upon what the church is doing and say, that's really cute, that's really nice, and we keep on moving saying it's somebody else's job. But paragraph 126 in the book of Discipline, and this is the last paragraph I'm going to read out of here, I promise, says, the heart of Christian ministry is Christ's ministry of outreaching love. Christian ministry is the expression of the mind and mission of Christ by, hear this, a community of Christians that demonstrates demonstrates a common life of gratitude and devotion, witness and service, celebration and discipleship. Are you ready for this? All Christians, all Christians are called through their baptism to this ministry of servanthood in the world, to the glory of God and for human fulfillment. All Christians. So, So we can't keep relying on this bystander effect anymore because that's why the church is crumbling in the West. Did you know that? The church in the West, not just America, but the... West, Europe included, is completely dying out. And it's not because of a new generation, contrary to popular belief. People these days like to blame millennials and Gen Z for everything. Uh, millennials and Gen Z are trying to get back to church, but the church won't accept them. Because millennials and Gen Z want to do something with and through the church. And the church has adopted this bystander effect that says, it's not really our job anymore. We did our part, whatever. Whatever. We're going to come, we're going to show up, we're going to come to church, we're going to come to worship, and we'll do our worship thing. Hey, we'll even drop some money in the offering plate, and then we're piecing out for the rest of the week, and we're done. Or maybe I might come to a Bible study or a Sunday school class, and it's, and it's, it, it's like, all right, cool, I'm doing extra now. Like, I'm, I'm a part of the church. And this is all great, and it's great that people do that, but we can't keep sitting by as the church just letting that be all we do. Because our mission, the mission of the United Methodist Church, which, by the way, is guided by our Scripture Lessons today, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And it comes from two texts in Matthew, Matthew 28, which is our uh, text, the Great Commission, Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize, uh, and teach, I am with you always. And the second from Matthew 22, which we had talked about uh, just a few weeks ago in our neighbor series. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world is a mission that is meant to be embraced and embodied by the entire church. All Christians, all Christians are called through their baptism to this ministry. We can't keep relying on the bystander effect anymore saying it's somebody else's job. It's all of our jobs. And guess what? The world doesn't get transformed by just a handful of people doing something. It gets transformed by all people doing something in unified ministry for God's work. To go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. These are the commands that Jesus gives his disciples in the Great Commission and one of his uh, last moments with the disciples. They show up, and they see Jesus there, resurrected, and they begin to worship. But some doubted. I don't know what that was about, but some doubted. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. Action number one. Go, therefore and make disciples action two of all nations baptizing them action three in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them action number four to obey everything i have commanded you and remember i am with you always to the end of the age so jesus offers us four very basic actions here we start with go this word in jesus's usage here implies Even demands that we get off the sidelines and onto the field That's the bystander effect right there. This notion that we're We're on the sidelines. We're in the stands Somebody else is playing the game and we're gonna watch and hope for the best and we're gonna root for our team And if our team wins then great and if our team loses well, then we didn't really invest a whole lot in it So it's quite all right to go demands that we get off the sidelines and onto the field, that we take initiative, that we take responsibility, that we take action, that we get in there and do something incredible because that's what we are called to in our very baptism. And then we get to what we do once we go. We make disciples. And now I have to put a little bit of an understanding here because this sometimes slips up in our interpretation of this. Making disciples is not making converts. Okay, that's that's an important distinction in the ministry of Christians. It's not about making converts, it's about making disciples. And the reason this distinction is important is somebody who is converted to Christianity has this one experience of conversion. I'm not even a big fan of that word, but I'm going to keep using it because it's common jargon. They have this one experience of conversion. And that's, that's it. And it can be hugely transformative to people. I'm not negating that at all. But to make disciples encourages people into a lifelong learning and lifelong ministry. Okay? See, there's, there's this distinction. Conversion, one-time experience. Discipleship, lifelong experiences. That's why we need to understand it's not just about you know, getting, getting those uh, Jesus cards saying this is how many people we had come to faith uh, in, in our church this year, or things like that. That is important and that is big, but that's not where it stops. Jesus says, make disciples, not converts. Making disciples calls people into lifelong participation. Then, baptism. Baptism. So, this is still kind of a, a relatively new, concept uh when jesus teaches about this john the baptist kind of transformed what was originally a jewish practice of mikveh, this practice of ritual cleansing and turns it into this this uh this notion of saying life cleansing life transformation and john the baptist begins baptizing people and jesus comes along and and encourages that teaching onward and including not just it with water, but in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptism invites others into this community and this ministry. Uh, we in the United Methodist Church say that the that the those who are allowed—I'll use that word for now—allowed to baptize are those who are uh, who are ordained, commissioned licensed local pastors, those who are ordained are those who are allowed to baptize. But it is the responsibility of the whole congregation, of the whole community, to walk alongside people and guiding them in this process of baptism. That's what we read about in the How We Do the Mission part of the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. Getting people to baptism, which is baptism, an outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Baptism in the early church wasn't done immediately there was a process in which a person said you know what i think i want to be a part of this life and ministry and then they went through this season which we have modeled our season of lent off of they go through the season of preparation and on easter sunday all of those who went through the season of preparation acknowledging the depth and the significance and the gravity of what they were giving their life to were then baptized And then they were joined into the whole congregation, allowed to participate in the full spectrum of everything the church did, and also were expected, yes, expected, that their life would revolve around the mission of the church. And then we have to teach. Our call to teach is twofold. Uh, Far too often Christians take the call to teach to mean that we are to Scold, berate, tell people that they're not being Christians by, their, by whatever they might be doing and, and calling out scripture and saying, look, this is what scripture says. You're obviously a really bad Christian, whatever that might be. Essentially using our faith as a weapon towards other people, that's not teaching. Nobody learns anything through that. Uh, for those of you out there who are teachers, you might know that, uh, that students don't learn best whenever somebody's mad at them whenever somebody is scolding them or berating them. Rather, our call to teach begins with lifting others up in the powerful words of Christ and getting them plugged in, getting them to experience it. Why? Because our God is an experiential God. Our God isn't one who just writes messages in the sky and has us read them and then go and do them. Our God is a God of experiences who throws us into the wilds of life and transforms us through experiences, not just words. But this teaching is twofold. On one hand, it does have us lifting others up in the powerful words of Christ and getting them involved. On the other hand, as we teach, we also learn. Teaching is one of the best ways to learn a new subject. If you've... uh, if you're a teacher or you've ever been in a uh, classroom before, you might have had a project where the teacher had you teach a lesson. Like maybe you were like in a group project and the teacher gave you a topic and you were, you were told teach the rest of the class on this topic. The reason why is because teaching is one of the best ways to fully learn something. Because if you're going to teach something well, you have to know what you're talking about. You can listen to something all day, you could read something all day, you can even get your hands on in a tactile way, but until you teach it, until you teach it, you might not have fully learned it. And so, to teach, as Christ has instructed us, also calls us back into that familiar role that we are lifelong students of Christ. We are always learning as well, and we learn new things every time we teach. It's one of my favorite parts about teaching Bible studies, uh, anything like that, Preaching stuff like that because I learn something new, like, literally every time, every single time I'm teaching. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's incredible! Uh, it's it's a lifelong learning experience, and this call that Jesus places on our lives is for the transformation of the world. When we go, when we make disciples, when we baptize, whenever we teach, we are working for the transformation of the world, because the world takes the shape of God's kingdom. When we fulfill our mission i don't know if you've noticed this but our god is a transformative god god is in the process of renewal and this shows up all across scripture from very beginning to very end in the very beginning there was a void and god transformed the void into existence into substance and then we have the entire process of that which exists being transformed into the universe, and the universe having this transformative process until the earth comes into being. And there is land that transforms the earth. And then on this land comes all of this uh, vegetation and eventually animals that transform the earth. And then eventually humans, that, that, that dirt was transformed into human beings. And human beings go forth transforming all the time. If you've ever watched an infant grow up into an adult, it's a process of transformation. God is a transformative God and we get all the way to the book of Revelation. And what happens? We have a new heaven and a new earth because our God is a transformative God. God is in the business of transformation. That's why in our mission statement, statement, it says, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And here's the beautifully ironic part about all of this. God for whatever reason, has chosen humanity to, bring, to be the way that God brings about transformation. Consider that. If I were God, I would not pick humanity because we do a pretty bad job of uh, actually like good transformation <laughs> on the whole. We've got some good things going for us, but on the whole, we do a pretty bad job of uh, transformation. But God has chosen humanity to be the vessels of transformation in the world. And it starts with transformed hearts, with transformed souls. And those transformed individuals then go out and see, wait, the kingdom of God is still coming. And we can be a part of that transformative process of being builders, uh, of, of being heralds, of being people who bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God has chosen humanity to be the way that God brings about transformation in the world. So my challenge to each of us is this. Take up the mission of the church. Let it be your own. Let it be a banner that flies high for your life to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now is the time, as we're saying these days. Now is the time. and There's no time like the present. Why? Because we can't change the past and the future isn't here yet. We only have now. And so now... Let us make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now, let us go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Now, let us get involved in the ministry of the church and take part in God's greater mission. The time is now, friends, and we have all been called to this mission and ministry. And God has chosen us to be the way that God unfolds this mission and ministry. So let us get off the sidelines. Let us stop claiming to be bystanders. And let us get on the field of ministry with this mission and do the good work to which God has called us to through our baptism. And let us pray.